Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security. Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright. Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net, where we introduce you to investment strategies and opportunities that you are not hearing elsewhere. Please contact us by sending us an email at info at strategicinvestorradio.com, and you can go to our website to hear a podcast of any of our shows and interviews, strategicinvestorradio.com. Today is May 12, 2015. I'm Charlie Wright. We're very pleased you've joined us and very happy that we can have with us here today, Vahan Jajigan, uh, editor of Money Master Stock Report and chief investment officer of Greenwich Wealth Management. He speaks to us from their headquarters in Greenwich, Connecticut. Vahan, welcome to Strategic Investor Radio. Thank you, Charlie. Vahan, you have a very impressive background here in finance. You have a Ph.D. in finance. You're a chartered financial analyst. Uh, you have a distinguished academic career on faculties of several universities. You've served as chief investment strategist at Forbes magazine, and you've authored the book, Even Buffett Isn't Perfect. So tell us, Vahan, uh, we hope that the world of finance makes more sense to you than it typically does to us. Is that the case? Well, actually, the more you learn about finance, the more you realize it's impossible to understand. So I'm not sure it's the case. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I can appreciate that. And uh, with, with my 30-plus years in the business, I have found uh, the very same thing. So tell us uh, here a little about your background and how it is that you came to be the editor of Money Master Stock Report and the chief investment officer of uh, Greenwich Wealth Management. Okay. Well, um, as you said, I uh, got a Ph.D. in finance from Virginia Tech. And I started an academic career um, working at several universities as a uh, finance professor. And uh, one day I had an opportunity to join Forbes. They were looking for uh, the, a new editor of a publication that they have called the Forbes Special Situation Survey. Um, and I jumped at the chance. In fact, I used to be a uh, subscriber to that uh, investment newsletter, so I was very familiar with it. So I uh, moved to New York, uh, took a job with Forbes, ran that investment newsletter for, for many, many years, um, developed a very good uh, track record, um, started getting requests from people who wanted to, me to uh, manage their personal portfolios, which is um, something I could not do as a Forbes employee. So I uh, decided to leave Forbes, join Greenwich Wealth Management, which is an SEC-registered investment advisor, um, and launch my own investment newsletter. So uh, now I manage money and write a newsletter. Okay, but you're continuing to do basically the same kinds of things that you did at Forbes. Correct. Um, when I was at Forbes, I developed a methodology for analyzing stocks, uh, something I call a conservative discounted cash flow methodology, and it's the same methodology I'm applying to my current newsletter. Okay, so so tell us here about Money Master Stock Report. Uh, what does it do for whom? 
Well, this is a newsletter uh, basically for anybody who's invested in, uh, who's uh, interested in investing in stocks. Um, it's geared primarily to toward individual investors. And what I'm doing is I'm, I'm looking for stocks that uh, appear to be undervalued. I calculate an intrinsic value using this discounted cash flow methodology, and I'm only interested in stocks that are selling for less than this intrinsic value. So my uh, my newsletter comes out um, once a month in full form, which means that it's a new stock recommendation. It's a report on a new stock uh, once a month. And then in addition to that, um, I do follow-up reviews on stocks that are still on my recommended list, and I also put out notices when I think it's time to sell a stock. So, Vahan, do you typically offer a dozen stocks in the portfolio of stock selections, or two dozen, or about how many? Well, at any one time, my recommended portfolio would have anywhere from about 10 to 20 stocks. Uh, typically, it has somewhere around uh, 13, 14 stocks. And do you have uh, exit recommendations as well? I do, yes. When I think a stock is uh, um, either no longer undervalued uh, because it's run up and become very overvalued, I will tell people uh, that it's time to get out. Or, uh, alternatively, if a stock is not working, um, you know, this undervalued methodology, of course, works only on average. It doesn't work in every case. So sometimes uh, a stock does not perform the way I expected, and I will notify people and say it's time to get out. So it sounds like what 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 I typically call in the industry a bottom. You're a bottoms up um, stock picker. Do you try to to diversify among various sectors and industries as well, or do you just pick the best ones here? Yeah, that's a very good question. I am a bottoms up stock picker, and I do focus more on valuation than uh, sector diversification. However. Um, I do believe in, in diversification. You know, there's a very famous quote from Warren Buffett. Um, Warren Buffett believes that most investors should have extensively diversified portfolios. Of course, he's famous for running Berkshire Hathaway with a very concentrated portfolio. But he's also said that professional investors who know what they're doing can get sufficient diversification with just half a dozen stocks. Uh, in my view, half a dozen is too few. But uh, I think you can get sufficient diversification with about 15 to 20 stocks. Uh, and you do have to pay attention to what uh, sectors or industries they're from. And, and clearly, you don't want to have too much concentration. And uh, in, in your recommendations, do you focus only on the U.S. stock market, or do you get outside to uh, emerging markets or other countries? No. Um, in my newsletter, I focus only on uh, U.S. equities. Uh, occasionally, I will recommend a foreign stock only if it has ADRs that trade on a U.S. exchange. Uh, but that, that would be unusual. Typically, they're the U.S. equities. Now, in my clients' portfolios, uh, in addition to these individual stocks, I will get my clients' exposure to us, other asset classes um, through exchange-traded funds. So I will use ETFs for my clients to get exposure to international stocks or um, even particular sectors that I feel I don't have a lot of expertise in and also asset classes that I don't have a lot of expertise in. Well, now, Vahan, that brings me to, that was my next question here. Uh, if you're making all of these stock recommendations, uh, how can people get involved in other assets, maybe some commodities such as gold, silver, etc., international stocks, emerging markets, etc.? Do you make oh, no, recommendations I... for those as well? You know, I don't have recommendations for those in my investment newsletter, but that is something I do for my clients. Uh, the clients are the people that I actually manage their portfolios. And I do believe that those asset classes are important, and I do believe that they should have exposure to that. 
so for example, um, uh, I, I use uh, there are a couple of exchange trader funds I, I favor for international exposure. One of my favorites is um, a Vanguard fund, uh, VXUS, which uh, is a very uh, diversified international fund that excludes the United States. And I, I think it's very important when you're investing internationally through a fund that you don't just use a regular international fund that would include U.S. stocks, but you use one that does not include U.S. stocks, assuming you already have exposure to the United States. You know, I, I can appreciate that, and that is something that everybody should look at. Uh, so, so let me ask a very poignant question here, Vahan, and uh, I don't mean to be rude by asking it here, uh, but the question that always comes to my mind when I meet any single person, basically, who who looks to make stock recommendations, I ask, look, Fidelity and American Funds and T. Rowe Price and Oppenheimer, they hire the finest people from the finest universities, give them almost unlimited resources. Almost all of them have value stock mutual funds or, well, mutual funds in this case. Why are you, as a single person with more limited resources of, of computer power, etc., why, why do you think that you can do better than they can? Um, it's, not, it's not just that I think I can do better. The record proves it. Uh, my track record has been, uh, or my record has been followed by um, Holbert Interactive, which is an organization that uh, monitors the performance of investment newsletters. Very familiar with it, yes. Yeah, and they, they did identify me as the number one stock picker for the 10-year period that ended in uh, 2012, which was when I finished up at uh, the Forbes Special Situation Survey. Now, I also remind people when I say that, that even though I was the number one stock picker for those 10 years, in three of those 10 years, I actually underperformed the S&P 500. So uh, over the long run, my methodology seems to work, but there are many sub-periods where it won't, it won't work because it only works on average. Now, one of the things uh, your question basically hints at is this idea of efficient markets. Um, there's this theory that markets are efficient, and therefore if they are efficient, uh, all securities are priced accurately, and therefore people should not be able to outperform the market on a consistent basis over long periods of time. There's a lot of controversy about this in academia, um, but a lot of the research and the literature shows that if you are a long-term investor, you can actually outperform the market if you tilt your portfolio towards small-cap value stocks. You will not outperform the market every single period, but over the long run, you should be uh, able to outperform the market, and there's a lot of academic evidence on that. Well, very interesting, and, I, and I've certainly heard that, and we certainly have seen the last few years there have been times where, where that does not work, but uh, overall, uh, smaller caps uh, ha have worked uh, very, very well. Vahan, uh, let's hold that right there. We need to take a short break. We'll be right back. We're talking to Vahan Janjigan. Uh, Vahan, uh, pronounce that last name again for me, will you? Janjigan. Janjigan. Uh, editor of Money Masters Stock Report and Chief Investment Officer of Greenwich Wealth Management. You're listening to Strategic Investor Radio and octalkradio.net. We'll be right back. According to the consulting firm Strategic Capital Allocation Group, every decade since 1900 has experienced at least one bear market, and several have experienced as many as three. 
So how do we protect our principal from these declines without missing the gains when prices rise? At Strategic Investor Radio, we interview asset managers with unique strategies designed to both protect and grow your investments. Investing is not rocket science. It's rocket fuel if you know how to harness it. For podcasts of our interviews, please visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. All right, let's head back to Charlie and his interview. Thank you, Paul. We're talking today with Vahan Janjigan, the editor of Money Master Stock Report and chief investment officer of Greenwich Wealth Management here on Strategic Investor Radio and octalkradio.net. And I'm Charlie Wright. So, Vahan, uh, tell us a little more about your system or methodology for your uh, how you filter and go through and select your uh, dozen or two stocks that you recommend. Okay. Um, well, you know, as I explained, I use uh, what's known as a conservative discounted cash flow methodology. And the discounted cash flow methodology is a widely recognized methodology in academia. And basically what it says is that the value of any asset is simply the present value of all the future expected cash flows that it's expected to generate. So whether you're talking about um, real estate or stocks or bonds, it's only worth the present value of all the cash flows you expect to get from the future. So it's a methodology that requires a lot of estimation and assumptions about things that will happen in the future. And as you know, anytime you're trying to predict something that's going to happen in the future, you're almost guaranteed to be wrong. So there's a lot of room for error. So the way I do it is I do it on a very conservative basis. So, for example, when I'm analyzing a company and I'm very confident that the uh, that the company will be able to grow its uh, revenues at, you know, let's say 5% on an annualized basis, when I do my model, I assume that growth would only be about 2% or 3%. If I'm very confident that the operating profit margin is going to be 20%, I might model only 18% or 17%. So I'm making very conservative assumptions. So. If after all of these conservative assumptions, I still conclude that the stock has this minimum intrinsic value that's greater than the current market price, then it becomes a candidate for a recommendation. Well, but but it seems to me that uh, the question I've always had with that kind of investing is that uh, you're typically then talking about companies that are out of favor. Many times they are out of favor. However, I also point out that sometimes uh, they turn out to be growth companies. Uh, just because a company is a growth company doesn't always mean that it's overpriced. Uh, for example, you know, a stock in the past uh, couple of years I've recommended twice and did extremely well with is Buffalo Wild Wings. I mean, this is a company that I would consider a high-growth company. Uh, of course, they're in the restaurant business, and uh, they make these uh, these chicken wings that are very popular, and they have a tremendous amount of business during sporting events because they have televisions uh, all over the uh, the restaurants. Um, and I found that stock uh, on a couple of occasions uh, it became very under, undervalued because it is a, a fairly volatile stock. So it doesn't have to be a value stock, but um, you're right. Uh, in general, on average, the stocks that I find are undervalued are the ones that are out of favor. And, and do you take into account the reasons that they're out of favor? Because, you know, they may be in energy or in an unfavorable sector, uh, or they've had bad press, uh, or they've had major lawsuits. I mean, do you take that, any, any of that into account here? 
I do. I mean, sometimes you'll see a stock uh, suddenly collapse. Uh, this often happens, for example, following an earnings announcement. If, uh, if earnings were short of expectations or if the company uh, provides guidance about the future that's uh, less than expected, you'll see the stock price collapse. So those situations I really like because it gives me an opportunity to go in and do some analysis and, and try to determine whether I think this is only a temporary setback or if this is something more permanent. If I believe it's a temporary setback and the stock has been oversold in reaction and it's still undervalued, um, that's a situation I really like. Oh, very interesting. Well, now, let me ask another difficult question here. Um, most people are saying right now that the market is fully valued, if not a little overvalued, and that it has limited potential for upside. In fact, there was this last week an interview with John Bogle uh, that became, uh, you know, all over the Internet here, saying that nominal to z- that there would be nominal to zero real returns in the, re- in the U.S. stock market over the next decade. Would you agree with that yes i actually know uh jack bogle and uh and i would agree with that um i i've actually had a very um uh, i would say somewhat uh bearish view of the stock market uh this year my um forecast for the full year was uh was a flat year i don't expect stocks to go up much at all for the, for the full year um i don't think stocks are tremendously overvalued uh there is some evidence that the uh economy is improving uh, so there is reason to believe that um, that businesses might do better. But in my view, stocks have already run up uh, too much in anticipation of that. The last couple of years have been very strong years. So I think it's very possible that we could see stocks taking a breather. And I also you know, would remind everybody that it's very common uh, for the stock market to have a correction every once in a while, a 10% correction. And we haven't had that in, in quite a long time. So uh, I would not be surprised if that happens. In fact, I would welcome it because uh, because I am somewhat conservative right now. I am holding more cash than usual, and I would like to put that cash to work. And in your recommendations in your newsletter, do you recommend a portion uh, of cash that people should have? And does that change based upon your prognosis of, of the market? No, I, I don't. In fact, in the newsletter, all I'm doing is recommending stocks, and my performance is calculated under the assumption that you have a fully invested portfolio at all times. So I'm not advising people on uh, how much cash to hold or how much to allocate to different asset classes, um, but that is something I definitely take into consideration when it comes to managing my own clients' portfolios. But even for my clients, um, you know, suppose I have a uh, – an 80-year-old client who is retired and I uh, can't really take a lot of risks. You know, I might have that individual only in about 50 or 60 percent equities, but they're still holding the same equities that uh, all of my other clients are holding, the ones that I believe are undervalued. Okay. And these days, uh, fixed income is, is a real conundrum. It is extremely difficult for any investment manager. Uh, what are you doing with your clients on uh, in fixed income? That's a very good question. In fact, uh, traditionally, fixed income has been considered to be a safer asset class than equities. Um, but I think uh, these days I would have to argue that fixed income is actually riskier than equities because interest rates are so low and likely to move up. So for the last couple of years, I've been using what I would call alternatives to fixed income. For example, I've been using more um, dividend-paying stocks rather than bonds in my portfolios. I've been using some real estate investment trusts, some preferred stocks, um, and I've been using uh, master limited partnerships. So for clients that need to generate income, 
uh, and where I'm very uncomfortable locking them into long-term bonds, um, I've been using alternatives such as that. Well, that's very interesting, and that sounds like that, that could well be a topic for another day's conversation here. So let's ask you a question here uh, that we like to ask all of our guests here, Vahan. In regards to your money management and your stock recommendations, you know, that, that's very difficult stuff to do. It would give many people ulcers and keep them, uh, give them lots of challenges. What keeps you awake at night? Well, I'd say the thing that worries me most is is having a major sell-off in the market uh, precipitated by some other you know kind of uh, crisis, perhaps another financial crisis. Um, I would say that that's what really worries me. Um, I think the probability of that is small, but it's not zero. Um, so I, I do worry about uh, things like that all the time. Um, that's one reason why I try to hold a diversified portfolio in my clients' accounts. But but I also remind my clients that you know. Uh, Financial theory likes to tell us that diversification is a good idea because it reduces risks. But when you have a crisis, when you have a financial crisis, um, people sell everything all at once, and the correlation coefficients of security suddenly spike, and you find out that diversification actually works the least when it's needed most. So even if you're diversified, that's not going to protect you. The only way to really protect yourself if you're uh, really, really worried about a sell-off is to just get out of the market. You know, those are excellent points there. Before we leave here, Vahan, tell us uh, briefly about your book, Even Buffett Isn't Perfect. came out in 2008. Uh, not the greatest timing for a book about <laughs> stock investing. Yeah, you know, that book was a lot of fun to write. I was, uh, I was actually approached by the publishing company because they had noticed a couple of articles I had written for Forbes.com about Warren Buffett. And uh, in particular, I had written some articles that were uh, somewhat critical of Warren Buffett's views on certain policy matters, you know, things like uh, earnings guidance and taxation and corporate governance um, and stock options. And so when they approached me, I said, you know, look, my view is that Warren Buffett is one of the greatest investors of all time, and I would certainly say that in a book about Buffett, but I would also want to, you know, point out these things that I don't think are in the best interest of investors. So they, they actually liked the idea. And um, we had to uh, we had to debate a little bit about the title of the book. I, I really wanted to call it "Even Buffett Isn't Perfect," and um, they had some hesitations. But finally, the head of the company uh, decided that that was a great title, and so uh, we went with it. Great. Well, thank you very much. Well, what final words do you have for our listeners here today before we say goodbye here, Vahan? You know, I, I would say that one of the best pieces of advice I would give is, is one that, uh, you know, Jack Bogle told me. You know, if you're going to be an investor, you should be thinking about the long term. Uh, you should not be thinking about, you know, jumping in and out of the market at all times. You should focus on your asset allocation, um, you know, not worry so much about stock picking, even though that's, that's something that I do. But if you're a long-term investor, you have to realize that your returns over the long term are going to be dictated more by your asset allocation decisions than they are by your security selection decisions. And I've seen uh, studies that certainly uh, back that up. Well, Vahan, Vahan, thank you very much. We really appreciate your, your words here today. We've been talking with Vahan Janjigan, editor of Money Masters Stock Report and chief investment officer of Greenwich Wealth Management. Oh, Vahan, please give us your contact information for our listeners here. Well, they can find out everything about my newsletter at blmoneymasters.com, and they can find out about our money management activities at greenwichwealth.com. 
Okay, very good. And and again, uh, the the V uh, the, that's B L B is in boy. Yes. Okay. Very good. Well, Vahan, thank you very much uh, for our interview today. We appreciate it. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio on octalkradio.net. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to our next interview. Thank you. You've been listening to The Strategic Investor, your source for compelling investment strategies from some of the most productive asset managers in the industry. For unique investment strategies, visit us at strategicinvestorradio.com. Investing is not rocket science. Charlie Wright is an investment advisor representative with Partner Vest Advisory Services, LLC an SEC-registered investment advisor. The views and opinions expressed by our guests are for informational purposes only and do not necessarily reflect the views of PartnerVest Advisory Services, LLC, or Charlie Wright. PartnerVest and our guests are unaffiliated companies. No information in this discussion is intended to provide investment, tax, or legal advice to any person, nor is it an offer to sell any security.